5: I hope I got the day right. I hope I got the hour right, because that's my job, and I believe I did. And Brady's job is to know the down and the distance. And shockingly, late in that game on Thursday night, he lost both, all right? So I appreciate all of you who may have fallen asleep. Maybe you're watching Major League Baseball instead. Maybe you're just waking up right now, and you haven't spent that much time thinking about This game and how it ended, but it's super, super strange. First of all, Matt Nagy made an awful decision, I believe, to throw the ball late when he had the ability to run the clock down to around thirty seconds, and Brady wasn't going to hardly have any time left. Instead, throws the ball in completion, and as a result, Brady gets the ball back with a minute seventeen seconds left. He starts in vintage Tom Brady fashion. Drops back to pass, 12 yard out to Mike Evans who gets out of bounds, boom. There's still over a minute to play. The Bucks have the ball at the 37 and they aren't that far from finding themselves in position to be able to potentially kick a game-winning field goal, all right? First down, Brady misses Mike Evans wide on the right side of the field. It's an incomplete pass. Everybody huddles up. Second down, Brady hits Keyshawn Vaughn For a four-yard gain, clock is running. They get the snap off. They have no timeouts left. Brady tries to hit Gronk, misses him. Gronk knocks the ball up in the air. It's a high throw, and the clock stops again. They all go into huddle. It's clearly fourth down and six yards to go. The Bucs have Brady has thrown the ball three straight times and is short of the down and distance, right? It's fourth and six. Everybody should know it in the huddle. Instead, Brady comes back out, attempts another throw, tries to hit Cameron. Brate misses him. Not really that close in terms of being a completion. And Brady then seems to have no clue what the down and distance is. For a quarterback who is 43 years old, and I believe they said, I saw the graphic right before last night, that he had 45 game-winning drives in his career. So this is a guy who's been in this situation more than anybody else in the entirety of the NFL, and he just fell completely apart on the down and distance. And this, to me, personifies what happens when you join a new team and the culture and the discipline is not similar to what existed in New England. Maybe it's unfair, but I can't imagine Tom Brady playing for Bill Belichick ever forgetting a down-and-distance situation like he did last night with Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks had no business losing that football game last night. Congrats to the Bears. I know we got Bear fans listening. They're like, hey, we found a way how to win. I understand. You got out-gained by almost 100 yards. You got out-rushed massively. The Bucks averaged over five yards a run and frankly didn't run the ball anywhere near enough. The Bears couldn't run the football at all. This was a game that the Bucs had no business losing. In fact, they should have won it in a way that the la- second half of the fourth quarter wasn't even particularly competitive. Instead, the Bucs found a way to lose this football game. And after... Basically two decades of Tom Brady finding a way to win football games is pretty shocking to see. Because remember, a big part of what happens with the Patriots during their dynasty was not just them winning football games. It was letting other people find a way to lose. The Patriots were the most disciplined, the most culturally strong, the most character-driven team they stayed true to who they were and waited for you to crumble in the face of their dynasty. Well, last night, Brady and the Buccaneers crumbled. And now, the Bears have somehow gotten themselves to 4-1, and one, but the same gnawing insecurities that characterized that opening week loss to the New Orleans Saints have shown themselves back again. Now, I know that there are major wide receiver and downfield passing threat health issues for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. O.J. Howard is gone. Chris Godwin has hardly been able to get into rhythm at all with Tom Brady. Mike Evans has had ankles and hamstrings. He hasn't been healthy all year himself. But this was a pretty shocking loss. In particular, the way that it came about. And for what it might say going forward, I'm just not really sure what exactly is going to be the storyline going forward with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even Gronk, who I I was excited to watch play, doesn't he seem like he's just labored every time he catches the football? They hit him late on kind of a, a tight end screen, and it was a substantial gain. But Gronk came out, and looked like he had already gotten kind of dinged up a little bit. And even as he ran, you know, Gronk kind of looked a lot of times like RoboCop. And, you know, he's always got all the gear on, the protection. He had all the issues with his his elbow over the years and everything else. Always took a lot of big hits. He doesn't seem like he's got a lot left. And for Brady to forget the down and distance, it was J.R. Smith-esque. Speaking of J.R. Smith-esque. We are going to talk next with Chris Mannix, who is our NBA insider. Tonight, Game 5 of the NBA Finals, the Lakers are up 3-1. This could be it for the Lakers as they try and win a championship. It would be LeBron James's fourth. What is the significance of it? Do we expect for Game 5 to end now? What does Chris Mannix think about the lack of television viewers as the NBA is hemorrhaging fans Is this a surprise to Adam Silver? Is the league nervous? What exactly is coming out of Game 5? We will break that down for you. And then, to close out the final segment of the show, we have got the OutKick six-pack of gambling picks to give you six winners headed into the weekend. Six different games to make you some money. That is our plan I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Up next, NBA insider for Outkick, Chris Mannix. What do we expect to see for Game 5? That's all next. Thanks for spending your time with us. This is a Friday morning edition. Final hour, Outkick the Coverage. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. we bring in now Chris Mannix at SI, Chris Mannix, our NBA insider, for what might be the final visit of this NBA season, which, by the way, seems like, I'm sure to you and many other people out there, it has never ended because it's literally uh, going to basically go over almost a year, right, before uh, before all is said and done from when this uh, when this situation started. So let's begin there. Do you think the Lakers close it out tonight in Game 5?
1: I do. Um you know Miami has been. I mean, they've done everything they can. They've, they've played up to I think their potential with this group, uh, but they're outgunned in a series like this, especially with Goran Dragic uh, still on the outside looking in. I'm not expecting him to play in this game, uh, in this game five. So I think the Lakers close it out. I mean, they, they're just the only game. Excuse me, the only game they lost was because they played probably the worst game of their entire postseason and even in that situation they were still in it uh, in the fourth quarter so I, I think the Lakers are just a superior team I think they close it out
5: all right so what is the lasting impact of this win for LeBron let's presume that he's not going to give up this 3-1 lead to the Miami Heat that the Lakers are going to win the title he and Anthony Davis obviously the two stars of the Lakers what does this mean going forward for him and for the Lakers?
1: I mean, for LeBron, I think this is the second or third most significant accomplishment of his career. Frankly, I mean, I think first will always be what happened in Cleveland, uh, returning to that city, winning a championship. You know, coming back from three-one down against a seventy-two win team. I mean, that there, there really isn't anything that will ever top that in LeBron's career. But this one's right up there, right behind it. I put it on par with that game six that he played in the 2012 conference uh, finals uh, when he was with Miami, if you remember that series, they were down three, two, and that was before they'd won a championship with Miami. Boston was up. You know, that was really the, I mean, that was kind of the moment for LeBron to, to prove he was a winner and he had this unbelievable game on the garden floor in Boston. This, you know, winning this championship I think is, you know, kind of on that level with what he did in that series. So I think for LeBron it's it's everything and it inches him a little bit close to Jordan. I think for the Lakers, you know, they've kind of established a blueprint here. Like they have a group that not only can win a championship, but dominate on its way to winning a championship. They are poised to to basically gentlemen sweep every team in the playoffs. And and you can certainly say that they haven't had the toughest of of paths, but you know, in the NBA you play the team that's in front of you. It's not boxing or MMA. You it's not their fault that the Clippers tanked in, in the conference semis. It's not their fault Milwaukee you know, didn't show up in their conference semis. I mean, they, they played everyone put in front of them, and they dominated. And I think for the Lakers, with this group, uh, you've got the potential to have a championship window that extends to maybe three years.
5: Yeah. So you think LeBron can still have that two- or three-year window after this one?
1: Uh, there's no reason to think otherwise. I mean, he's he's 35, and we keep waiting for you know, that dip, but he's coming off one of the best seasons statistically of his career where he played two-way basketball for the first time since his Miami days. So I think having Anthony Davis back and I would expect him to sign a long-term deal very quickly once free agency starts, whenever it starts in the NBA, that's just a guy that is, you know, progressively going to be able to take more and more pressure off of LeBron offensively, you know, defensively. He's arguably the top player in the NBA. He really does have the perfect kind of you know, running buddy, the perfect partner in all this, in Anthony Davis, who uh, has a great relationship with LeBron. That's uh, that, that's become abundantly clear all season, and it, it has the talent to take over when LeBron can't.
5: All right, right, we're talking to Chris Mannix, our uh, NBA insider at SI Chris Mannix. The number of people that are watching the NBA Finals has never been lower. Mm-hmm. Before we get into why that might be, do you think that has surprised Adam Silver, top NBA executives, and the TV networks, the lack of interest that has existed for the NBA Finals relative to most years historically?
1: Yeah, I think it surprised them. Um, I think they believed, or at least had the hope, that you know when the Finals came along, you'd see traditional ratings. Um, so it's been disappointing as far as what you attributed to I mean, look, I understand the political angle to it all, but I think far more significant is the fact that they're used to going up against nothing. And now they're, you know, not only competing when it comes to actual airtime, but competing for kind of media oxygen, you know, in, in June, you know, the NBA is all really people are talking about, uh, you know, they're not talking much about regular season baseball, football's not even in training camp. I mean, it's, it's all NBA all the time in June. Now, you know, it's far more NFL, far more college football. And, you know, you lump all the other stuff into the mix that, that goes along with it with NHL and, you know, some of the specialty events like golf and horse racing. It just it consumes a lot of oxygen. And I I think this there's a lot of variables. And I think, look, the, the heat being in this probably hurts them a little bit, too. I think the Celtics probably would have done a bigger rating because of that historical rivalry. But I don't know that it's any one thing. I think it's a confluence of events that, that have created this sort of ratings abyss
5: uh it's a good phrase actually the ratings abyss of the nba finals and i would say this they have managed to avoid through scheduling most nfl or college football direct competition right they opened on a tuesday yep. no football they played on a friday for game two i know they had the, i think the cardinals padres baseball was a competition but in general that's not a brutal you know com- competitive uh environment right. Then they played on a Tuesday, uh, sorry, they played the Sunday head-to-head with the NFL, which was tough. Then they got Tuesday, now they're going to play again tonight. So four of the five games, if it ends in five games, have not had to go head-to-head with football. And they've still seen dismal results, which I thought was interesting. Adam Silver, even before the finals were over, said, yeah, I don't think we're going to put messages on the jerseys next year. I don't think we're going to have anything written on the court do you think that that will prove to be true and did it surprise you that Adam Silver said it now?
1: No, and I did a story with Adam back in July and that was my sense coming out of that story too, that this was a unique set of circumstances where the NBA was trying to come back at a time in the country where it was as in the aftermath of the George Floyd uh, killing the Brown Taylor stuff like this was as, racially charged an environment as as you could possibly have at least in in recent memory um i never viewed this as being something the nba was going to adopt permanently like they you know to do that you'd have to get you know all the teams in the league on board with it and and that wasn't going to happen because you know frankly owners have different views and they're well within their rights to have different views if they want to support Donald Trump, great. If they want to you know, support Republic, the Republican Party, that's their choice. It's a free country. And you know, if you're not going to have a uniformity to it, it doesn't make any sense to, to try to push it. So I think the NBA uh, all along thought this was you know, kind of something they had to do um, because of the, 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 the viewpoint of the players, but never was this going to be something that, that became part of the fabric of what the league does.
5: Do you So I'm fascinated by this because we saw a major battle erupt in Major League Baseball over how they were going to play the season. And I'm sure you followed it to some extent, even as an NBA insider. It was like, it was up, it was down, it was yes, it was no. I mean, it was a, it was a public battle that played out between the yep. players' union and the owners over how many games they're going to play. And to Major League Baseball's credit, eventually they got it worked out. They're in the postseason. They're going to have a World Series champ. They're not going to miss the season, which is what the worst-case scenario was. Uh, And the NFL uh, had their own little kind of battle over testing and what exactly the protocols were going to be going in. uh, What were players going to make? How are they going to slot salary caps uh, going forward? All those different things. And they got that worked out how big of a battle are we setting up for in the NBA for looking ahead the return which you've been on top of and you told us months ago i think hey i think around mlk day is you know maybe mm-hmm. when the when the nba is going to come back how much of a battle is this going to be over? Uh, presumably, they're not going to have full arenas where they're going to play, and the players are not going to get the full contracted for value of their uh, of their salaries because it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to play an 82 game season. Like, what do you expect for next season in the NBA to look like, and how big of a battle is it going to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Adam Silver phrased it properly when he said difficult conversations that have to be had with the union about just how big a financial hit the league's going to take with you know the likelihood of limited or no revenue in arenas to start next season uh how many games are in a season what percentage that takes right off the top the reason i'm optimistic is largely because of my understanding of the relationship not just with adam silver and michelle roberts but adam silver and Chris Paul, Adam Silver, and LeBron James. What Silver has done in his tenure as commissioner has really forged a a strong working relationship with leaders within the NBA so that when they sit across the room from him, they don't really think he's trying to screw them. Now, Adam Silver works for the owners, so he's trying to get them as much money as possible. But players, and I've talked to players about this, like they just don't see Adam as an adversary. They see him more as a partner in all this. And I don't think that was always true. I mean, I covered you know a handful of lockouts, work stoppages when it was David Stern versus Billy Hunter in the NBA. I mean, David was a very successful commissioner, but there were a lot of players that – you know, looked at David as as an opponent in those kind of negotiations. There, I don't think they view it the same way with Adam Silver. So, look, there can always be one issue. That trips the whole thing up. Whether it's how many games you play, or you know what percentage of of the, of the revenue you're going to cut from players, something can always come up. But because this relationship is so strong with the commissioner and and the players in the union, I just I just get the sense it's all going to be figured out. I don't think it'll be seamless, but I, I think it'll get figured out in a much cleaner way. Than what baseball did, which was you know basically a pie fight, you know, for, for every day uh, that was going on.
5: Last question for you, Chris Mannix at SI, Chris Mannix, our NBA insider. Presume that the Lakers win the title this year. I think that's very likely. Again, unless they lose three games in a row, which would be very, very highly unpredictable. Who should be the favorite for next season in your mind?
1: Huh, I mean, it's the Lakers deserve the right to be called the favorite, especially if they bring the whole band back together to do it again. But I can't stop watching golden state and what Bob Myers and that front office could potentially do uh, with that number two overall pick. I, I had Ryan McDonough the former Suns GM on my podcast this weekend. We were talking about that pick and, you know, just how many teams are kind of probing. And one place to, to look, to look strongly at is, is Washington. I mean, the wizards are in kind of a weird position right now, they've got John Wall coming back. They might re-sign Davis Burton, as a good player, but they've got Bradley Beal, and everybody wants Bradley Beal. And if you're the Wizards, and you get an offer of the number two pick in the draft, uh, Andrew Wiggins, who is the salary filler there, and Minnesota's uh, you know top three protected pick next year, which uh, Golden State has from a previous deal, and they could dangle in that trade, that's That's really hard to turn down. So it's a long way of saying if the Warriors pull the trigger on a deal that nets them a player like Bradley Beal, I mean, they're right back to where they were. I mean, Bradley Beal isn't Kevin Durant, but he gives them another, you know, deck lineup type of player uh, who coupled with Draymond and Steph and Klay Thompson coming back. I mean, they're going to be a tough team to bet against uh, next year if that kind of deal gets done
5: outstanding stuff as always chris mannix at si chris mannix we will talk uh, with you again uh, in the uh, future but probably not about the bubble ever again which i would imagine you uh, would appreciate uh, thanks man Very good weekend here, yeah, yeah enjoy the it. games this weekend this is outkick the coverage with clay
4: travis
5: We close out the Friday edition of the program during football week, during the football weeks, with our new outkick six pack of picks. All right. Now, I don't want to oversell the amazing level of success that the outkick six pack has had, but we went five and one two weeks ago. We went five and one the next week, and we went four and two. This most recent week. You can follow. Go check them out. I'll tweet them out. Uh, and you can see what the picks are. But I am going to, as we do every single Friday, give them out to you. This is my gift to you. My gift to the people. Right? My gift to all of you. We have been on fire. You can write these down. You can watch them on Twitter. You can be on top of them. And uh, we hopefully will continue our hot streak dub. Hot streak of all hot streaks. It's helped to cover for the fact that the college football picks have just been mediocre.
0: Absolutely. Thank God for the NFL because like you said, the college has been a struggle, but hopefully the college can pick up this week and the NFL stays hot as well.
5: All right. So uh, are we ready? Montel Jordan, this is how we do it. This is how we win in the OutKick six-pack of picks. By the way, I had this question the other day. Somebody said like, why is the OutKick six-pack not sponsored by a beer or a uh, you know soft drink company, and it's a fantastic question. To me, the Outkick Six Pack being such an incredible success, we should have companies fighting over the ability to put their logo on the Outkick Six Pack, right? Like it should be like an Anchorman style brawl between Bud Light and Miller Light and Coors Light over who gets to be the Outkick Six Pack, or Coke and Pepsi and Mountain Dew and Sprite and everybody else. All of them should be desperately battling here. But in the meantime, you can go to fanduel.com slash clay, get signed up, and uh, and hopefully make a bundle on these picks. And we began with pick one. No particular order. I don't rank them. But I begin with pick one here, and it is the Raiders, plus 13 points on the road against the Chiefs. Danny G and Roberto are going to be excited over this pick. 13 is just too many. All right? Sometimes you see a line... And you just say to yourself, that is a wildly out-of-sorts line. And I know how good the Chiefs have been in their conference and in their division. They have been dominant against their division rivals. But here's the deal with the Chiefs. I think this is a vintage sandwich game for the Chiefs. And what I mean by that is the trap game, right? You had the Chiefs playing against the, uh, against the Patriots on what ended up being a Monday Night Football game, and then you have the Bills coming to town, and the Bills may be undefeated. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with that uh, Titans situation, but we do know that the Raiders are a team that the Chiefs have dominated, that they are likely to overlook, and that 13 points to me is way too many in this scenario. The Chiefs this season have shown you that when they feel challenged... They can rise up and play at a really high level, like what we saw happen against the Ravens in one of our earlier outkick six picks. I love the Chiefs here. Uh, sorry, the Raiders here going on the road against the Chiefs, getting thirteen points. I think this is a single digit game. I think this number is wildly out of whack. So I am on the Raiders plus the thirteen points here. What do you think about that? Picked up.
0: I like this pick, and another factor that has held back the Raiders in the last couple of weeks is fumbles. They've lost five fumbles, and that's cost them the last two games. I don't think – I mean, fumbles are basically luck. You know, It's just bad luck on the Raiders' part. I'm not counting on them to turn the ball over. Derek Carr's been really good at controlling the football and not turning the ball over himself through the air. So I agree with you. I think this is a single-digit game. I think it's a close game, and honestly – I think the Raiders could potentially win this game if they play well and Josh Jacobs is running the ball against the Kansas City defense.
5: All right, so we like – Dub agrees with my first pick in the outkick six-pack, the Raiders plus 13. Next pick. This is maybe going to be a little bit counterintuitive for people out there. I like the Washington football team plus 7.5 against the Rams. Now, the Rams have had to make a bunch of trips all the way across the country early in this season – they had to play against the Eagles. They had to play against the Bills. And now they're going to have to make a trip to go play against Washington. And this whole Dwayne Haskins situation is strange that he would go basically from the starter to all of a sudden not even being on the quarterback roster. But I like Kyle Allen as a step up. I think he's a guy who's going to make less mistakes than Dwayne Haskins. Game manager style, I don't think he's a long-range franchise answer for the Redskins, sorry, the Washington football team, or anything like that. But I do think that all this travel is going to start to weigh on the shoulders of the Rams. The Rams didn't play well, even though they got the win against uh, the Giants. And so I think that what is likely to happen here is that Washington keeps it close. This feels like a field goal game that the Rams find a way to win. I like the defense. I like what Ron Rivera can do to match up against Jared Goff and Sean McVay and this uh, high-powered Rams offense. So I am rolling with the Washington football team plus 7.5 against the Rams. Your thoughts, Dub?
0: Now, this is a game I won't personally be betting, but if I did have to pick a side, it would be with Washington because, like you said, the Rams, their travel schedule has been absolutely insane lately lately. And they did not look very good against the New York Giants last week. So I guess uh the gun to my head pick would be the Washington Redskins.
5: Yeah. All right. So this is uh this is pretty uh this is pretty solid. So we are two for two, Dub and I agreeing. The Raiders plus thirteen, the Washington football team plus seven and a half. Next one. I think this team is underrated. I made some good money on them this past weekend, Indianapolis Colts. Colts have the best defense across all statistical categories in the NFL right now. They are sitting at 3-1. and one. I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that this Colts defense is the best in the NFL. They are protecting Phillip Rivers, something the Chargers could not do, keeping him upright. They're coming off of an easy win and an easy cover against the Bears that was never in doubt. The Cleveland Browns, I know all the Browns fans are ecstatic and they're excited about how their season has been going. I believe that the Colts are going to go on the road against the Browns and handle the Browns, get to 4 and 1, low scoring game. I also might sprinkle a little bit of money on the under here, but I like the Indianapolis Colts to win this game with relative ease. They're right now a one and a half point favorite against the Browns. I think the Colts keep their run going, go on the road at the Browns. Browns are, you know, one of these teams is going to be 4 and 1. And one of the things you sometimes have to ask yourself is, wait a minute, are the Browns going to be 4-1? and The answer is no. The Colts are going to win this game and get to 4-1. and What say you, Dub?
0: I'm going to have to disagree with you here, Clay. I think Cleveland is playing some good football. They're running the ball, and the Colts' defense has been impressive so far this season. But they've played Jacksonville, not an incredibly high-powered offense. They've played the Vikings, who we know are struggling mightily right now, and they've played the Jets and the Bears. So, although I think they are a good defense, I'm not convinced that they're the greatest defense in the world yet. And Cleveland, the way they played last week, understand that the Cowboys' defense is not even a defense. I like the Browns at home. I think they're going to run the ball. I think Baker Mayfield keeps the mistakes to a minimum. So, I'm going to take the Browns at home here.
5: All right. So, first disagreement for those of you uh, in your car, getting rich, writing down the outkick six-pack, Raiders plus 13, the Washington football team plus 7.5, I am on NB minus one and a half. That is the official pick. Dub disagrees with it. All right, continuing Vikings. They got the win on the road against the Texans. Arguably, they should have gotten the win against the Titans. I think they are moving in a very positive direction as a football team. And I think they are going to go on the road against the Seahawks, who have absolutely no defense to speak of at all. And I think the Vikings are going to cover the seven. I also like the over a little bit here, but I like what I am seeing out of Justin Jefferson. He is right now the highest rated wide receiver. He was in the NFL for all of last week. He's starting to find his stride. We know Adam Thielen is a playmaker. Dalvin Cook seems to be kind of starting to hit his stride as well. This is a talented offense. Kirk Cousins doesn't need to be incredible. He just needs to get the ball to his playmakers. Seahawks, look, Russell Wilson is your league MVP so far, but they can't stop anybody. One of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the entirety of the NFL right now. I like the Vikings plus the seven. Wouldn't stun me if they went on the road and won, because remember, the 12th man is not that big of a deal right now with no fans present in Seattle. I like the Vikings plus seven. I think there's good value
0: on them. I think there's value there, too. But I have bet against Russell Wilson far too many times and lost the bet by about one point exactly. Yes. Now, I don't think eight points, that's a pretty odd number for this to land on. But I think you kind of mentioned the over, I think, a little bit. Both these defenses are atrocious. Seattle, it's well-documented how bad their defense is. It's 57, though, right? Yeah, I'm seeing 57. That is a high number, but I don't see any way that the Seahawks' offense is going to be stopped. And the way the Vikings played last week, I don't really think their offense is going to be stopped much. But seven points, that does seem like a lot. So I'm going to give a slight agreement here with the Vikings plus seven.
5: All right. Raiders plus 13. The Washington football team plus seven and a half. Indy minus one and a half. The Vikings plus seven. What percentage of our audience do you think gambles, by the way?
0: That's a great question.
5: Like in some way, like you could not necessarily betting individual games, but I feel like a lot of people do like a weekly pick them challenge or their survivor style picking or whatever that would be kind of close to gambling. What do you think? I, I would bet like a solid third of our audience at least gambles on football.
0: Well, does fantasy football count as gambling? I mean, because daily fantasy is yeah, huge, da- obviously.
5: Daily fantasy is obviously very popular.
0: I, I think with the survival counting, I think it's probably closer to 50%. Yeah. I and think it, it's growing right. rapidly as well. I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't no be doubt. surprised if in three years it's closer to 75%.
5: I think your average NFL fan, as more and more states officially get legalized gambling i think there's a huge percentage of people that might not want to have a bookie that would if they could have an app where they can go in and bet 10 20 100 bucks whatever your you know financial situation is on the uh on the games i think it's just going to explode in terms of the audience Uh, all right the fifth pick here i i know that this is a counterintuitive play i know some of you are going to say this is crazy and i'm liking underdogs this week But I love the progression that I am seeing from Joe Burrow. Uh, Went on the road and got the tie against the Eagles. Last week at home, they got the win against the Jags and really took control in the second half. Joe Burrow is going to be, I believe, a very good quarterback in the NFL. And I think it's too early for the Bengals to be a very good football team this year. But I think the Ravens being favored by 13 points over the Bengals is a bad position to be in. And so I am of the opinion here that you have to go with the plus 13, the Bengals on the road against the Ravens. The Ravens feel like they're sleepwalking a little bit. Uh, Lamar Jackson has just been okay relative to the standards that he has previously set. He's not running the football as much. We saw the beatdown that the Ravens took against the Chiefs. I feel like that lingered a little bit into their performance against the Washington football team, I feel like the Bengals are excited. They're a young team. They want to prove that they're not awful. And I think Joe Burrow is getting better week by week. I think the Ravens win, but it's by something around a you know seven or ten point margin as opposed to two touchdowns or more. I'm taking the Bengals plus the thirteen against the Ravens.
0: Yeah, full agreement here. And just by the way, if you've if you if you've just been blindly betting the Bengals this year, you're three and one against the spread. Yeah. so this team can cover 13 is way too many
5: uh all right so 13 way too many dub and i agree on this one and then the final outkick six pack of picks this weekend for you in the nfl again the raiders plus 13 the washington football team plus seven and a half indy minus one and a half the vikings plus seven the Bengals plus 13 I am got the Battle of Pennsylvania pegged here for the final pick of the OutKick six-pack. The Eagles are going on the road against the Steelers. Carson Wentz against Ben Roethlisberger. And this number is out to seven. I think that is too many. The Eagles, big win on the road against the 49ers. I don't think they beat the Steelers. I think the Steelers find a way to get the win but I like the Eagles plus seven points against uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers for this weekend.
0: I hate to do it to you and disagree on the last pick, but Pittsburgh is basically coming off a bye due to their canceled game with the Titans. And Pittsburgh, I just love what their defense is doing. I'm not sure how the Eagles score. I think the under is also a great play here. I don't.
5: I agree with you on the under. Because
0: both defenses are pretty extraordinary, to be honest, and both offenses, especially the Eagles, can sometimes get a little slow out of the gates.
5: All right. So there are our six picks. A lot of agreement, some disagreement between Dub and I, the two biggest gamblers on uh, this program. Raiders plus 13, Washington plus seven and a half, Indy minus one and a half, Vikings plus seven, Bengals plus 13, and the Eagles plus seven. That's our outkick six pack uh, of picks. We will be talking with you next week. NFL Week 5 underway. Lots of great college football. Can't wait to break it all down for you on Monday. We'll be doing it. Go get rich kids with the OutKick six-pack of picks. This has been another week of OutKick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
3: Be sure to catch live
5: editions of OutKick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, oh, oh,
1: alright!